You are now listening to the Minority Trailblazer Podcast. Let the story begin. One time for the lovers, two times for the ladies, three times for the brothers, four times for the babies. Do you love her? 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 One time for the lovers, two times for the ladies, three times for the brothers, four times for the babies. Do you love her? 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 Brown skin, love a brown skin, love a brown. Brown skin, love a brown skin, love a brown. She my brown skin, love a brown skin, love a brown. She my brown skin, love a brown skin. Hold me down, man. It feels good to be back. It is Thursday. By the time you're hearing this, though, it's probably Friday morning. But thank you so so much for tuning in to another episode of the Minority Trailblazer Podcast. And once again, I'm your host Greg Eel, the Culture Change Agent. And man, we got a show for you today, and I ain't gonna lie, I tried to slide in there, but, but, but I apologize for not distributing another episode last Thursday, because uh, these last couple months, and if if anybody knows or done any research outside of the podcast on me, I make my living, of course, I I write books, I've I've written two books, and um, I am a motivational speaker, but the last couple months, I don't, I ain't gonna lie. I'm be honest with you. I don't think I've been particularly motivated to move towards certain certain dreams and goals that I set forth, and, and quite frankly, I've been average. Um, some days we putting out good work. Some days we're not. Some days we're waking up at four thirty and running five miles. Some days we're not. Some days we're eating healthy. Some days we're not. Some days we are focused and moving forward our dreams. Some days we're making excuses. It's just been a lot going on. On a, on a variety of different levels. And what I've come to realize is I had to lock in and refocus. Um, I started this podcast and low key, man, this is like a year anniversary. So I started this podcast a year ago and I was filled with so much energy, so much passion to get these stories out to the world because I knew they would make a difference. I knew that people out there wanted to hear from other individuals that are trailblazing or doing the thing. Some of the successes, some of the struggles, all that good stuff. And I just had so much energy to put it out. And what I realized over the last couple months is that that energy was starting to wane. That energy was starting to become a burden. And I was like, why is it becoming a burden? Like, I enjoy talking to new people. I I enjoy that our podcast is reaching all these different countries and downloaded all across the world. Like, that's so dope to me. But something was happening and... Um, a friend of mine, and I go put her out there, but she's going to be uh, on a, on a podcast coming up. She's actually in med school right now. But she asked me because um, I haven't told many people, but I, I, but people that know me know that um, I'm in the process of applying to business school. A year ago, I said that I, I'm always a student. I love learning. I love learning. I love learning. And I realized that I'm going to hit a particular glass ceiling if I don't take things to the next level because I have, I know I have a great story. I have great energy. I create stuff. I build stuff. But I said, being in an environment filled with other people 
that are creative, other people that are um, trailblazers, other people that are pushing things to the next level, i.e. business school, i.e. a top 10, top 20 business school, like a Harvard or a Yale or a Duke or whatnot, could take me to the next level. And honestly, I haven't put too much energy towards it because I'm scared of retaking the GMAT. Um, I'm scared of how my life would change if I went to school, because I mean, I have a great church home in Durham, North Carolina, which I'm I'm at church Tuesday, Wednesday, uh, Saturday, and Sunday. Sunday, eight o'clock service. I teach a ten thirty Bible class, and I go to four p.m. service, and I play Scrabble after that. So my life kind of revolves around church, and I'm thinking, man, if I go to a new location, then what I'm gonna do with my church family? If I go to a new location, what I'm gonna do about my my real family? I'm thinking about all these fears are coming ahead. Then I'm thinking about, oh, do I really want to study for a GMAT again? Oh, that's going to be hard. Then I'm thinking about, I'm an entrepreneur by, by, by birth, by passion. Right now, I'm an educator. With going to business school, like how would that affect where I want to go? Would that put me in a box? What if I had to work another job again? Like How would people look at me? Would people look at me like, yo, you failed at being a speaker? You didn't, you didn't live up to that? Or you were supposed to be this, this new trailblazer, this new guy, and you working for somebody? So I spent all that money on business school and say, if I did, so all these fears came in my head and what that created was a lot of indecision. So the reason, and I'm being honest, one of the reasons I've been average the last couple months is because I've been stuck in this indecision mode and being that I was stuck there, that gave me an excuse not to push things to the next level. And then, um, like I said, going back to my homegirl, we was having a conversation and she was like, yo, gee, why can't you do both? Why can't you continue to build your brand, continue to podcast, continue with the Minority Troublemaker Conference, continue blogging, and go to business school? It's, it's not going to consume 24 hours of your day. You can still, wherever you're at, first of all, you can find a local church wherever you're at and be involved. Second, you can you can seep or, or, or sow your, 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 your knowledge and your, your skill as a motivational speaker at the high schools or the local college, wherever you're at, wherever you are, like... Things don't change if you have to move from Durham. Things don't change if you have to get an MBA. Of course, it might take more time. It's going to be hard, but dope. Isn't that what you preach every day? Isn't that what you used to stand for? Isn't that who you are? And I, I have, I've heard that before, but man, when it when she said that to me, it hit me in the face. And I was like, ooh, it hurt. Like, seriously, I almost I almost shed a tear because I've been living, I ain't gonna lie, an average an average life and it's been killing my soul. Cause you know, you know that feeling when you can do more and you know you can do more. And you you throughout the day you're like, man, you know, if I if I continue the way I'm going, what is my future gonna look like? And that's what we talked about a little bit too. It's like whatever you're doing, and, and for those that are, are succeeding right now or killing what they're doing right now, continue doing what you're doing. But for those that are trying to take things to the next level, just think about it like this, cause this just this, this blew my mind. This stuff I already knew, but when she broke it down to me. It, it, it made sense. And she was like, if you continue doing what you're doing, what does the future look like for your, your, your family? What does the future look like for yourself financially? What does the future look like for for your mindset and your your, 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 your mental health if you continue on this path? Because the, way, the path I was on, if I just said, if I just continue doing that, just waking up right before work. Running when you want to, eating right when you want to. In ten years, what does that look like? That looks like an out of shape and 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 and, and overworked Greg Hill. That looks like a Greg Hill that that looks like an unhappy wife. 
That looks like a Greg Hill that's not locked in and dedicated towards nurturing his children. That looks like a Greg Hill that is not giving all he can to church. I don't like the way that Greg Hill looks. That looks like a Greg Hill of lack, of lack. The one that that was half-heartedly went towards his dreams and didn't take things to the next level when other people were counting him. Because right now I realize there's a lot of people that are counting on me to continue innovating, continue pushing the things. And I'm not only letting them down, I'm letting myself down, my future wife, my future kids. She dug deep. And I was like, whoa, I wasn't even trying to get that deep. But that kind of lit a fire under me. And, and I will say on a personal level that I'm back locked in, applying to schools, um, doing my research, and putting it as a priority to kind of get out my comfort zone and take things to the next level. Because I ain't going to lie. It's been 2016. It's been great to me. I've had rough points. I mean, I've had some rough, 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 rough points. But the podcast is, has blown up to a certain extent. I mean, I've written my second book. I mean, we, we spoke at over 50 locations um, in half a year. Like, for the first six months, over 50 times. Like, this is outrageous. Paid gigs, free gigs, whatever. Really working on my craft. Being, being sought after now. Not to say every day I get an email, Greg, come to speak, but I mean, it's like a big deal. Like, I mean, I was just on the panel with Hill Harper, and Hill Harper, he had like a whole row of students at A&T around him, um, asking for autographs and pics, and I came off the stage low-key, I didn't know if anybody was going to speak to me or whatever. Then after I had a slew of students come up, hey, can I get a pic? I listen to your podcast. Hey, I'm motivated by this. You move me through this, this, that, and the third. And I'm like, wow. Like, all this has happened. Within the last couple of months, so and I haven't even been taking things to the next level. So for those of you that are that are not pushing it, think about it like like you're still here. And imagine what it's gonna look like once you kind of take it to the next level. And hopefully we can walk each with each other through this journey because we ain't where we need to go. If you're listening to this podcast right now, we ain't where we need to go. So hopefully we can take things to the next level and um, continue to fight average. Like being being average is dangerous. If anybody watched my YouTube video about that, that, that is so serious because being average is so dangerous because it leads to when you get older or if you already have kids, or if you have a job you don't like, if you have kids that you know could be doing more, if you have a spouse that's not really rocking with you, if you have a girlfriend that you know that relationship could be to the next level, that's what average looks like. When you're great or when you're phenomenal, things are different. You still have problems, but you approach them in a whole different perspective. And you have a will and a knack for solving those problems and not just letting them fest. But when you're average, you push that problem to tomorrow. And when tomorrow comes, you push that problem to the next day. And when the next day comes, you push that problem to the next week. And when next week comes, you push that problem to the next year. You never see it again. Until that year comes and that problem has not left. It's still at your front door. It's still in your house. It's still in your job. It's still in your dreams. You're not moving forward because you didn't attack it with a phenomenal will. I know I'm preaching right now, but it comes from a real personal place for me because I've been struggling with it. I've been battling with the last couple months. I'm supposed to be the minority trailblazer, the guru, one of the guys that's leading the frontier. And I'm letting y'all down. So um, I, I had to thank my friend. And she's going to be on this podcast. She's in med school. She's a trailblazer. She, she, she's banging it out. I just wanted to kind of share that personal nugget real quick. And today, on, on top of that, today we have a great addition to the show. And I can't wait to get into it. And the reason I'm so excited to bring this guest on the show is because um, this past weekend, I was in Charlotte, North Carolina for a movie premiere. And 
the movie that I went to go see was Almost Christmas. And if you saw that movie, the first person you see on the big screen is my brother or the guest that we have on this show. And to see him on the big screen, I mean, went to Charlotte. It was 200 plus people that came from all across uh, the East Coast to come to Charlotte, walk the red carpet, support him on his premiere. And to see him on a major film, first face in less than two years acting professionally, man, I was moved. And the guy's only 24 years old. Mind you, he still has a full-time job as a computer science engineer. Computer science engineer and being in a feature film, which is actually the number one comedy in America right now, doesn't add up. It doesn't add up. Like You think that it doesn't work. You think he's working in, as a waiter in LA or something like that or working. And it's like, wow, that's amazing. And to see him put together a premiere, have so many people come, it was just so, so encouraging. And I said, man, I have to have you on the show because I want to share. Because first of all, you be the first actor that we've had on the show. I want you to share your experience, your upbringing, being on the set with the likes of Danny Glover, uh, Monique, um, J.B. Smoove, and the cast, the wonderful cast of Almost Christmas, Gabrielle Union, all those people put together such an amazing, 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 amazing movie. And I said, man, I have to have you on the show just to share your experience, share your growth, share some lessons learned. And man, this episode is powerful. It's long, but it's funny. It's honest. And and, and I'm telling you, it's going to have you thinking. So um, let me read a little bit about his bio, and then we're going to jump right into it. Our guest today is born and raised from Atlanta, Georgia, and he's always been intrigued by the art of acting. He's always been in love with the camera, and in third grade, he joined his elementary school concert band. That's where he learned to play the alto saxophone. Had to make sure I put the alto in front of that because all saxophones are not created equally. And that's what's carried him all the way to Southwest DeKalb High School. And you're from Georgia, you probably know what that is, and that's where he joined the band. During his high school career, he remained on honor roll and remained a part of many different organizations, such as the band and the step team. These activities require him to put on a show and express his vibrant personality. Throughout life, he's always studied the craft of many different actors that inspired him. This causes curiosity for the entertainment industry to peak to a whole different level, right? So he went to my alma mater, as you already know, North Carolina a&T State University, and that's where he majored in computer science in the College of Engineering. And during the senior year, this is when he caught the acting bug, and he enrolled in acting for non-acting majors. And through this class, it gave him the inspiration to become a big screen actor, right? So post-graduation, he joined the Raleigh Little Theater in Raleigh, North Carolina, with the intent on signing up for acting classes. But instead, he was actually recommended for a play called Randy and the Brother Win, where he played the lead character, Brother Win. He later moved to Charlotte, North Carolina, where he was accepted into the Carolina Talent Agency. He has made his first national appearance in the ESPN commercial for High School Football League, which gave him the momentum to pursue his dreams of becoming a part of the next generation of big screen actors. And most recently, you can find him in the theaters right now in the almost Christmas as a young Danny Glover. So make sure if you're listening right now, you haven't checked that out. It's a phenomenal movie. It's funny. And he's the first person you see on a freaking screen. So I want to jump in this interview because I'm excited about the knowledge he's about to drop. He's a young dude. He's a, he's the next wave of not only just black actors, but talented young actors in general. So without further ado, I would like to introduce my brother, my boy, my dog, 
Kia Mitchell to the Minority Trailblazer Podcast. Welcome to the show. Thank you, man. How you doing, Greg? Everything all right on your end? Oh, man, I'm, I'm phenomenal. Even though, if you, if you know me personally, I go to sleep at like 9.30, so I'm well past my bedtime. But, <laughs> you know, like like we said when we got on the call, this is life we chose, right? Yep, this is life we chose, man. I really appreciate you for having me here, man. Um, It's such an honor to actually be asked to even come be on your podcast, man, because your podcast is off the chain. So I follow it. I listen to it. And I know you have a ton of followers, too. So I'm glad to be one of the individuals that people can listen to and um, get this knowledge from. Amen, amen. I'm just glad that we got you on before the blow up, blow up. So as you continue <laughs> to grow and grind and you, you take your acting career and your, your personal life to the next level, we can say we got one of your first major exclusives. And plus, I can ask you regular questions. You can give me answers and people are like, oh, I already know that about Keon. We have already heard that on a thousand interviews. No, 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 no. Everything right here, it is exclusive. So I'm just glad I got the, I got the first opportunity because you know, cats get on the big screen all across the country. You could have been like nah g i'm good man uh you hit me next week or talk to my agent because i know cats that i didn't the aggies really? that, that i didn't hit up and they be like oh you got to go through my agent i understand really? oh man they see that <laughs> see they're not real aggies then because what is our little model aggies support other aggies man so if that's what they're doing then they uh they they messing up the policy, and, and we should definitely take their uh, their degree. Okay, <laughs> they degree, take the Aggie <laughs> yeah. pass. Don't they ain't allowed to come to homecoming? Yeah. Take their Aggie bucks. You know? <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right, we gonna jump off the Aggie train for a second because I know a lot of listeners here. They 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 not from Aggie land, and they it, eh. so we're going. <laughs> but um, we always start the show off with a quote and a story about how you apply that quote to your everyday life. So, Keon. Razine Mitchell, please give us a quote that you live by and share us a story of how you apply that quote to your everyday life. So a quote that I live by, um, a, um, a lot of people that uh, follow me or um, a lot of my mentees might might uh, might have heard of it is uh, you either go through it or you grow through it over and over again. An individual named James Carr told me that back in the good old days and I was lifeguarding at Browns Mill. Uh, Water Park got there in Lithonia, Georgia. Um, you know, for those who don't know, I've been lifeguarding since I was like 14 years old, man. And I did it all the way up until I got my first corporate job at MetLife. And um, he told me that when I was kind of going through a, um, a couple of in, a couple of internal challenges I had with myself and my ex- my external surroundings, um, trying to pave my way to become more independent. Mm-hmm. As I began to trail that, as I, as I began to kind of go down that path of independence, you know, my own job, my own car, my own everything, you know, working on just me. Um, he told me that because I, I I had a lot of conflicts or a lot of um, negativity kind of come across my way. But ultimately, it's one of those things where I had to either grow through those things or, had to, or I was going to continue to go through those things over and over again. So growing up as a kid, man, you know, me and my mom, we didn't have the most money and we wasn't exposed to uh, the finer things of life. But she did everything that she was supposed to do. And that put me in the shoes I'm in today, you know, but essentially, even through life, either, you know, whether it's dealing with friends or the corporate world that I'm still in, as you mentioned earlier, or even the industry or Whatever the circumstances might be, you know, we have to, as a people, as a as, as human beings who want to be successful in general, we have to learn how to grow through our experiences and not just dwell on our experiences. A lot of people 
dwell on the things that they go through in life. They make a scene, they make a conflict without using to put without taking the time to analyze the different perspectives um, that come with different experiences. You know, mm-hmm. we have we have so many different uh, we have so many different perspectives on one on one um, one specific incident. There's so many things that you can learn from it, and there's so many different ways that you can react to certain circumstances. Uh, certain circumstances, if you just change your perspective or you know, change your perspective on them. So yeah, you either go through it or you grow through it over and over again. I, you know, um, I'm a firm believer that if you want something, if you visualize it, you know, it becomes tangible. And this past weekend at my premiere or my debut event out here in Charlotte at SMG. Mm-hmm was a prime example of that, you know? So, um, this right here was this movie, for example, is a big, is a big, um, it's a big thing for me because I've literally had a chance to kind of see my vision become something tangible, you know, but I only got to this space from only learning through my mistakes, through the things I wasn't satisfied with in my life, Mm -hmm. people that hurt me in my life, in some cases through the people that I even hurt in my life. You know, so it's all about growth, man. Essentially, it's all about growth. You learn from your mistakes. You literally have to learn from your mistakes and grow through them to become the person that you want to be in the future. That you see yourself in the future. Amen. And you, you, you were almost treading down that lane and some stuff that we're going to talk about. Definitely dig deeper into the show about your premiere, your, your first time being on set with all these, these people meeting your idol, Tyrese. We're going to talk about a lot of that stuff. But before we get in that, the transition. Can you tell our audience before we get into your your big screen debut, your ESPN commercials, and your your budding career, and how you even got into this acting thing? Can you take it back? Take it back. Take us back to Atlanta, man. Tell our audience about who you are and where you come from. Who is Keon Mitchell? Who is Keon Mitchell? This might, this might be a long winded story, Greg. Is that okay? <laughs> hey, 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 hey. Um, you're entertaining, man. So as long as it's entertaining, I'm we here for. It. I got my popcorn ready. <laughs> Okay, cool. So, man, um, Atlanta, man, I like I like the old Atlanta. <laughs> I like what Atlanta used to be. You know, um, Atlanta used to be a symbol of promises. <laughs> you know, the people, the camaraderie. It's just this a little different now, man. You know, but I'm not gonna talk about the city. We're gonna talk about me. <laughs> so. <laughs> Um, essentially, yeah, because Atlanta's a, a, one of our a, a, our biggest listeners. So don't piss off the A. Nah, I'm from the A, man. Like, I'm, I'm from Atlanta, you know, Charlotte. You feel me? You know, like I'm from, like, I'm from, I'm from Atlanta, Georgia. You know, so you know, it's, it's nothing now. It's nothing that. It's no offense at all, you know. But any old head from Atlanta, Georgia, knows what I'm talking about, mm-hmm. you know. So, um, essentially, you know, I grew up, man, single parent home, me and my mom, uh, by ourselves. You know, family isn't that big, you know, whatsoever. Um, it's okay, you know. So my mom was my baby. You know, uh, grew up elementary school. I those crazy thing. I, I used to have these glasses as a kid, man. Yeah, these big, huge glasses. But the one, you know, those ones, the Urkel head with the bar across the across the. Bro, top. you did not have a bar, bro. Gee, I had them though. I had my mama played me. My mama knew what she was doing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she used, to, she used to keep me in those, man. So I used to get bullied in like you know sixth grade. This is a cat that I had to deal with in sixth grade. Um, you know, uh worked out for the best for me because <laughs> i had to learn how to man up if you understand um you know but um essentially uh you know grew up man uh, in atlanta georgia or by way of decatur um born and raised in atlanta though for the most part and then 
grew up, man, I was always an academic student, man. I was kept over 3.5 GPA. You know, it was uh, that my academics definitely served me well, man. Uh, but primarily once I kind of got to, uh, once I got to Southwest Cap High School, when I did join the band, you know, that was a definitely good, that was a good experience. And that was honestly the thing that kind of really ventured me out the most to really understand and really get to know people a whole lot more and kind of broaden my personality. Because mm-hmm. he had knows that it's a lot of personalities in the band <laughs> to tell each other all the time, you know, and it's just annoying. So that kind of piqued my, that kind of really piqued my um, personality, even, uh, even um, bigger amount. Because of the amount of people I dealt with on a regular basis, you know, big major shout out to Mr. Seda, you know, Mr. Thomas, those was my band directors back in the day, by the way, so I was the cab, we did drumline, <laughs> <laughs> not, not A&T, sorry, A&T, y'all my school too, but you know, we got to keep it to here. Um, but, um, so Keon, you know, growing up, man, I had a, I had a lot of, a lot of internal issues, man. You know, I never thought I'd be the person who I am today, but I always saw it. But this was before I really understood visions and branding and all that good stuff. And um, so as a kid, I definitely had a lot of self-esteem problems, confidence issues. You know, I wasn't necessarily the most happiest person about my appearance because I did have these glasses. And, you know, of course, once you get about 13, 14, 15, you know, females become a thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it becomes a thing. You know, I realized I'm a boy. So getting them, but I wasn't getting them. You know what I'm saying? I was like, <laughs> going on? You know, um, but the really... The turning point of my life was when I was in the bins with my best friend, DeAndre Smith, back at home in Atlanta in the public parking lot. We were in grandma's bins, man, little white bins. And he's a pro boxer. You know, he's also a professional guitar player. He does all kind of stuff right now. He worked with Kerry Holson and stuff like that in the studio and everything in the city and everything. Um but he's at the time he was just strictly boxing. We were young. I want to say we were like maybe 13, 14 on the way to high school. Uh, no, actually, it was my it was my freshman year of high school. We in the car slap boxing. He slapped the he slapped the taste out of my mouth. <laughs> you know, and he broke my glasses that already had tape on them, you know. <laughs> <laughs> broke my glasses. He went to grandma's house. He gave me a pair of his contacts. Ever since then, I seen the world differently. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I, I looked at myself in the mirror and I said, oh, my gosh, like I, I felt different. I looked different. You know, so, so I took the time to really work on my, on my on myself. You know, a lot of personal development happened during my freshman year in a transition to high school. I was going to Southwest DeKalb High School where where a lot of the classes were really. I mean, my my class was really a, a dominant, a domineering class. Like, I mean, everybody looked like adults. <laughs> Um, and I aspired to be as such, you know, so I decided to kind of really work on myself and really um, start working on branding myself and really getting to know a lot of people. That's when I got in the band at Southwest Cab and you know, I started stepping. I started meeting so many more people and my personality just started kind of I loved it, you know. And for those that know me personally, you know, once I've been once I'm, once I'm comfortable around people that I know, oh, it's over. <laughs> you know, I, I start talking, I start loving on people, all kind of stuff, man. This is how I am. I, I can't help it. And, um, you know, I didn't know about college at all when I was in high school until my what junior year. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't know what college was. My, my mom didn't go to college. Um, you know, she didn't she didn't really introduce college to me. So I didn't, I didn't grow up in a college um, breaded household, you know. Mm-hmm. What she did, she did what she had to do. She did, she did a great job. She made it happen. Um, I didn't hear about college until all my peers in school saying, yeah, I'm about to go to Alabama State or I'm about to go to FAM. I want to go to A&T or I want to go to Tuskegee. I'm like, what the hell? What, 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 what y'all talking about? What y'all going <laughs> like, we just graduate. You're supposed to get jobs and, you know, do what we do, you know? 
No, they're talking about post-graduation and, you know, collegiate efforts. So I took the time. This was when I was, um, I was, you know, struggling in my AP classes, man. I had AP calculus, AP physics, Ooh, AP literature. Uh, uh, I just did the easy boy, the AP biology, AP history. That's it. Oh boy, no. <laughs> but yeah, I was all in. I was in the nasty stuff. I had AP literature with Miss Jenkins, and at that time, I remember going to the computer and I looked up North Carolina Agricultural and Technical State University because they had the. Because as we all know, ANT pushes out the most amount of black engineers across the nation mm-hmm. in the world. So um, with the A&T, with the A&T, and I loved it, man. With the A&T, I fell in love with the campus. I got to the yard, man. I um, just fell in love with the yard, with the culture, the people, the noise, the ratchet, everything. You know, everything, even the class, man. Every, everything about A&T was everything, man. You know, and um, when it came down to my uh, to my sophomore year, man, I was able to be initiated to my dream, um, my dream frat, which was Alpha Phi Alpha Fraternity Incorporated, where I actually met Gregory E. Hill. <laughs> I actually met G. Hill my freshman year. I actually met you my freshman year doing Join Me, and um, definitely a dope experience, man. You definitely did your thing with that one. I don't know how you did that one, but you you did that one. Um, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But um, I was just exposed to so many different things, you know, that I wasn't exposed to in my life back at home. And um, I could never grasp it um, until I met certain people on campus. Mm-hmm. Why does many older people? There's one thing HBCUs, man. You know, Travis Jackson is a, is the biggest HBCU um, HBCU advocate that I know. He's the CEO of HBCU Pride Nation. I'm sure a lot of you guys may follow him. If not, please go and follow HBCU Pride Nation on Instagram. Um, but you know, um, he definitely uh, introduced me to what HBCU Pride Love really, truly, truly was my um, my junior or senior. Year, I can't recall it. But, you know, so far as me as a person, man, like, you know, I had to I had to, I had to grow through it because I felt myself going through a lot of things that I was tired of dealing with as a kid. And I, I kept I, I got tired of looking at myself in the mirror saying, like, dang, I want to be like this person or that person. No, I had to I had to be I had to ultimately ultimately develop myself to be the person that I envision myself to be after some time. Mm-hmm. You know, so we all have a vision of who we want to be, how we want to be, what we want to be, what we want to be, and why we want to do it. We all do. You know, but what makes the difference between the person, you know what I'm saying, who actually becomes that and the person that doesn't become that, it's the person who's not willing to grow through their experiences and grow through that um that uh what's the word? Grow through that tiredness, if that's the word of dealing with the repetition of dealing with the exact same things that they're that they're encountering in mm-hmm. their life because essentially it becomes self-inflicting at that point yeah nah if you if you start if you wake up every day doing things that you don't like to do you know why, why not working towards your goals or your dreams and your passions your aspirations that's self-inflicting you're damaging yourself nobody's doing that to yourself but you mm-hmm. you know i had to apply that same concept to my personal growth the only person on this planet, on this planet, that can tell me, you know what I'm saying, about myself when it when it comes to me and my growth is me, mm-hmm. primarily. You know, um, I had a lot of mentors kind of paved the way, show me. I had um, I had a lot of them. You know, what I'm saying, Mr. Waddell, Mr. Dexter Porter. I, I had I had so many cats that alone when I joined the frat, when I joined Bed Epsilon period, like I had so many older, older cats, older bros that nurtured us, um, with what we needed. To be alpha men, which is what I aspire to be, which is who I am today, a man of alpha. You know, and um, through that, I was able to become the man who I am today, man. So through A&T, man, you know, 
ran for a lot of titles and met a lot of people, did a lot of damage, did a lot of good, did a lot of bad, man, you know, but essentially um, through all of that, it made me the person who I am today to be able to be on this podcast and talk to the Honorable Gregory G. Hill. <laughs> stop it, stop it, stop it. So I, <laughs> imagine this, right? You're walking into a room, right? And in that room, you come down, you sit down and the person right directly in front of you is you, but seven years ago. What would you tell that person, knowing what you know today? I would tell Keon seven years ago. Seven years ago, that would make me, what, 17. I would have told myself, Keon, stop seeking affirmation from other people. Mm. And do what you want to do. Mm. Period. You know, um, I'm, a, I'm a very free-spirited person. I've always been a very free-spirited person. Like I don't really feel tied to just, like, stuff you know i'm a very free-spirited person very very optimistic kind of have to be very optimistic being an actor you know um even a young professional in corporate with a computer science degree doing consultant work and all that great stuff like that it's got to be optimistic reason why i say that is because you know the moment you start seeking affirmation from other people my agent just told me that what yesterday stop seeking affirmation from others um but had i not seek affirmation from other people i would have been acting since i was in seventh grade mm. wow. who knows you understand what i'm saying so god has a plan you know god works his ways but i would have been acting since the seventh grade opposed to starting off at the age of 21 22 yeah they, um, mm-hmm. that's that that's what it would have been you know seventh grade would have been that guy Probably still going through what I was going through as a seventh grader would, you know, with the self-esteem, the confidence things, it's in the third. But even through then as a kid, if I wasn't seeking affirmation from other people or my peers who had the same things I had, which was nothing as a seventh year as a seventh grader, you know what I'm saying? Like I wouldn't have to worry about the pressure of what if I do decide to chase my dream and people laugh at me. Mm-hmm. Or people challenge me in a ways that's that's not conducive to me chasing my dream. You know, um, that's what I would have told myself. You know, um, you know, I would have told myself that at the age of 17, Keon, you go to college, don't major in computer science, (laughs) major in theater, you know, um, major in the arts, you know, but that's great and all, you know, Mm -hmm. but this, that had to happen. It had to happen this way. Mm -hmm. Because if it didn't happen this way, I wouldn't have went to A&T. I want to be able to A and T wouldn't have been there to provide the platform that I have today. Mm-hmm. I would have been. I'm always. I would have been. Hell, I probably would have been an alpha. <laughs> I would have met you. I would have met bros. I would have met. I would have met my line. I would. I would have met. I would have met all the influential people that I met at. North Carolina Agricultural and Technical State University to help mold me to be the individual who I am today. So, although I would like to go back to when I was 13 years old and tell my seven, tell my 13-year-old self that Keon, don't seek affirmation from anyone else but God, those you aspire to be, and those who have influence, uh, some kind of influential impact in your life. Because what's going to happen is you're going to stunt your own growth. <laughs> Mm, yeah nah nah you you hit that on the head so now as we transition to the next the next phase um of this podcast so let's talk about okay you're inactive now 
Well, so what what do you do? Because you all you got your you got your corporate gig, you're doing that, but now you got the acting bug. Like, what steps did you take and to start making moves? Well, before well, well let's well what what started this whole thing? Let's let's go there first. So what, what started this whole thing? Mm-hmm. I had this um always wanted it, always had a passion to do it, but even you you know you probably wouldn't imagine it's great because you know me in college you know what i'm saying even then i was still having self-esteem issues or confidence issues when it comes to the acting book it took to my it took to the end of my senior year it took to the end of the first semester of my senior year for graduation to have a conversation with alicia williams who's a social worker right here now in greensboro doing her thing you know big um big little sis little big sis whatever you want to call it you know um she's told that's why I say that. Uh, but, um, we had a conversation inside the car at um, right outside of Prior Hall on AT's campus about me wanting to be an actor. I told her, I said, hey, man, I want to be an actor. You know, at the time, you know, I want to be just like Terrence J. You know, um, you know, Terrence J had his story. You know, I want to get in contact with Terrence J. I want to talk to him. We had this whole conversation about Terrence J because he was that... He was that, uh, he is, you know what I'm saying, or was, is, was, however you want to phrase it, you know, depending on your generation or whatever, you know, but, you know, he was that, he was that light, you know what I'm saying, that, um, that represented A&T, um, from a media perspective, um, outside of campus, um, that conversation sparked me joining the, um, the, um, acting for non-acting majors course with Mr. Gregory Horton back there at A&T, he's still there, major shout out, took that class, you know, um, it was definitely, it was slamming. It was a great class. I aced the class, man. He had told me, Keon, you should definitely go do this, man. I'm like, man, stop, man. <laughs> stop. You're making me blush. <laughs> he said, you should definitely go and do it. So I decided to to do it. You know, um, I was still scared. You know, I moved out to um, your hometown, Durham, Raleigh, Durham area. Mm-hmm. You know, and I was out there for um, for um, for six months. You know, training, training, training myself to do something I don't want to do for the rest of my life. Mm. You know, and in this process, the my my, my main source of kind, my main my main source of encouragement at that time was Travis Jackson, Mr. HBCU Pride Nation himself. Asking him every day, hey man, should I go and should I go and do acting? Like, what should I do? He was like, man, Keon, listen, go and do it, man. You know, um, what if I don't have the talent? You won't know until you try it. <laughs> you know, I, I never had the classes before. You know, I always said I wanted to do it. I got a wild imagination, you know, but I never thought that I'd be actually good enough to be, you know, on the screen, man. Um, so that's when I signed up for the theater. When I signed up for the theater, it went well, you know, and I just figured, you know what? Regardless of, even if I, even if I feel like I have shortcomings, even though I feel like I'm not the best, I'm not the best by far right now. I still got a lot of work to do, you know, and I own that. I take pride in saying that, you know, um, however, you know, if I want to do this, I have to study. I have to teach myself. I have to learn. I have to get classes. I have to I have to do research. I never asked anybody except for one person. I asked Vani. You know, Vani is doing this thing, too. Vani, he's better out there, out there, mm-hmm. out there in Winston, Winston Breast. And, um, you know, he kind of showed me a few things, you know what I'm saying, with, the, um, with a couple of agencies on how to kind of go about doing it. You know, he, so he kind of gave me a nice little a nice little small blueprint that definitely helped me out in the beginning. But all in all, I had to kind of really own the fact that this is something that I wanted to do for the rest of my life. And, and if I wanted to make it happen, I had to find a way to make it happen. 
you know, a lot of people like to, you know, ride people's coattails or ask questions or, you know, um, think that people are supposed to just hand out everything. And it's absolutely wrong. I have like I'm the kind of guy, you know, if you ask me, I'm going to tell you, you know, because you know I'm all about giving back and making sure that the next person makes it to where they want to makes it to where they want to be. Mm-hmm. Hence my motivational snaps on um, my motivational snaps on Snapchat. You know, I, you know, and why did why did the red carpet premiere and why I make sure that everybody's included with what I got going on because I want people to I want to inspire people. I want people to see that see the beginning, and I also want them to see what it's going to turn to. <laughs> you know, um, you know. So watching this whole thing unfold, I didn't necessarily think I had the talent in the beginning, you know. But what really what really sparked it was Mark Soper and, and Charlotte Soper out here, my my agents, when I went in for that first audition, you know, to get you know to get representation. Mm-hmm. You know, I went in there, man, did a little runway walk, had this monologue that I was ready for. Him. I was listen, I was ready. I thought I was. Went in there. <laughs> Yeah, went in there and froze after my fourth line, and the whole room just started clapping. You know, and then they offered me representation. So from that point, I realized I said, "Okay, I'm green, but I got a lot to learn." You know, um, I guess to dig a little deeper, and let's let's talk about your 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 big screen debut, almost Christmas. First and foremost, walk us through. We we don't know anything about the film industry and whatnot. Walk us through a typical, and I know there's different audition process for different movies, but your audition process for Almost Christmas, and then also walk us through like being on set or or getting to see established actors and whatnot, being in their presence. And remember, this is two years ago. You were just in Raleigh, Raleigh, Durham, North Carolina, um, on stage at a, at a stage play, which is still great work. And then in, in fast forward a year and a half, and then you on the same set as some of the legends in film, Danny Glover, whatever, and now I'll walk into a movie theater and you're the first person I see on a national, national, national movie. So Yeah, man. So this so like you said in the beginning, there are different audition processes, you know, that that um that we go through as actors. Um you know, um unless you get unless you become like the big boys and stuff <laughs> like that and you just, you just get a phone call and you good. You know, but um but um, essentially, there's different um, different processes we go through. Sometimes you got to submit in video. Sometimes they're in person auditions. You know, um, but in respects to almost Christmas, you know, because I was so green in this whole thing. When Mark, my agent, called me and said, "Hey, you know, um, can you got an audition in Atlanta for a feature film, Almost Christmas?" I'm like, "Okay, whatever." <laughs> you know, I didn't really know. Like nowhere in my mind that I, that I connect feature film with like. A movie, you know what I'm saying? So I just didn't connect it at the time. So I drop down there, you know. I go down there and uh what do you know? Let me tell you the power of HBCUs and um networking. You know, I get down there, walk in this room. I wasn't nervous until I walked in the room. Mm-hmm. And I walked in the room and I seen all of these people. I'm like, who are they? And I seen like five or six, I seen no no, I seen like 30 cats that look just like me. Like, <laughs> I said, Wait a minute, man. Like, what's happening here? Like, <laughs> This is nuts. Like, what's happening here? Like, you look like me. You're my brother. You know? I've been looking for you, man. You know, like, it was crazy. You know, um, a lot of gorgeous girls in there, man. It was just, it was just like it was overwhelming. Did not see some familiar faces walk past. I seen this big guy with a big beard and a strong, powerful voice walk by, named David E. Talbert. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I was like, oh man, he looks familiar. You know, so you know, about our time kind of comes in. You know, I kind of agree going there and um. You know, we line up and everything, and um, it was just the time. You know, I, I was just there. I was standing there, sweating, sweating bullets, 
blood, sweat, and everything. You know, um, I was just nervous because at that time I realized what I had got myself into, and I felt like I was not prepared. Mm-hmm. I felt like I wasn't prepared because, like we know, you know, haven't had too many acting classes, haven't had the most experience, most experiences, didn't have the biggest resume. So I was nervous. I was scared. You know, I was terrified because I just really didn't know what I did. Really, honestly, did not know what to do. And you know, David had went down the the, line, the list of guys, and Dave was just like, "Hey, I know you." And I said, "No, no, 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 I know." <laughs> I said, I know you, <laughs> right? You know, I said, I know you, and we couldn't figure it out. So we're standing there for like two or three minutes, and we're just pondering about how we know each other. We couldn't figure it out. You know, did we end up getting um, dismissed off back into the lobby? Some cast got sent home. The whole process just kicked in, and I ended up getting, I had the opportunity to stay. Mm-hmm. Went back in, did the exact same thing over again, but this time I went back in there. I went back in the room, and I knew who he was. I don't know if you remember, Greg. No, you had graduated, Greg, from T. At the time. I was my senior. It was my senior year. You were already going. Baggage claim had came to A and T at the time. I was Mr. SUAB 2013, 2014 on campus. Mm-hmm. Baggage claim had came to campus to um, for um, publicity purposes, and some of the cast was there. Um, David E. Tabor was one of the people that was there. Now I didn't know who I was talking to, and I was talking to this man. You know, mm-hmm. I just. Just talking to a guy, you know, big, strong dude, you know, a great guy, you know, very inspirational. I was like, okay, let me talk to him. Let me talk to him, man. You know, I'm just, I'm just here doing my job as Mr. SUAP. I don't really remember our conversation. Um, but what do you know, man? You know, we had a me and him, me and him share interactions, what, at the time, a year and a half ago. And I walk into his movie auditions, and it's him. <laughs> wow. I auditioned. I think I did very well because I got the movie. <laughs> um, so I went in, I auditioned. During my first round, I was nervous. I was scared, terrified. You know, second round, I was, I, I was even more scared because I'm like, why do they keep calling me back? I don't know what's going on. Because like I said, all this is new to me. <laughs> you know, um, you know, I got a phone call from one of the, I mean, from the casting director of the movie. He said, we want you to come back and do it a third time. I said, come on, man. You know, <laughs> and, he gave me some notes, took notes, we went home, worked that night with a couple of Aggie peers. Shout out to, you know, my Aggie fam from helping me out with that. Went back the next day and I still didn't feel prepared, right? Mm-hmm. You know, but I had to find something in myself. I had to put my weight on God and let my instinct, let my imagination, let everything just kind of kick in. Everything that I thought I knew about acting, just let it all kick in and just kind of just kind of take myself out the equation that God, you know, handled the puppet strings. And I was able to I was able to perform um, to the satisf- to the satisfaction of I mean, to the satisfaction excuse me of the director and what do you know after the audition between me and Rachel Killian my co star we booked the role he told us that day he told us immediately you guys are casted and my head just dropped <laughs> went home got in the car and I cried all the way back to North Carolina man wow uh, like I cried like. Like real tears, man. Like I cried, mm-hmm. you know, and because it, it was crazy uh, how that happened. You know, that was all God. You know, David E. Talbert would be the first person to tell you everything is God. You know, he made the decision, but it was induced by his belief. Understand? Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. So, and after that, so what is it like when you finally get on set, though? When you are, it's time, it's time to rock. Man, you get what I'm saying, man. It was crazy. It was fun. It was it, it was exciting, man. You know, all these cameras, all these people, all this teamwork, all this love. 
you know, I seen Will Packer. He's short. He's shorter in person, guys. I seen Will <laughs> Packer. You know what I'm saying, you know, he's a good old, good brush, you know, beta new, you know, um, out there, fam, you, with a good old, older brush, you know. We got the same line number too, Greg. Did you know that? I ain't know that. And you got the same line number there. That's pretty cool. But, um, you know, um, <laughs> you know, met up, um, didn't meet up with Will Packer, you know, individually, but, you know, I had a chance to see all these guys on set, man. Um, set was definitely a learning experience for me because, like I said, I've never been introduced to something like that before. And I'm just, I was just peeking into my acting career, you know. So, um, being on set with the Danny Glover, you know, seeing Gabrielle Union, you know, um, Kimberly Elise is awesome. You know, seeing uh, even Jesse Usher, you know, DC Young Fly and crazy man. I was seeing DC acting the fool, man. It was just uh, all these different stars. You know, Monique, that one hit me hard. You know, seeing Auntie Momo. Mo. Um, it was definitely a, it was definitely a thing, man. Um, I couldn't ask for anything, anything else. Like it was. It's a, that, like that's a whole other life, Greg. Like that's really like a whole other life, you know. Um, can't imagine what it's like being at the top of the food chain, living that kind of life. Mm-hmm. You know? um, but it, it's definitely, it's definitely a thing, man. Um, the experience was great, you know. My the biggest, imp- um, the person that had the biggest impact on me on set, obviously, was Mister Danny Glover. Mm-hmm. Oh, having that like happen. It was it's funny because. My first time seeing him in person, I was kind of walking into the room and that little holding area and stuff. The day we did our still shots, and you know, I seen Danny Glover. He was on the couch sleep, <laughs> <laughs> and I and I asked JB Smooth. I said, "Hey JB, I said, I said, can we get a photo? Got a got a picture with JB Smooth it's on my Instagram. Follow me at Keon Armature. Yeah, boom. <laughs> I had to do it. You know, um, took that photo, and I said, "Hey JB, would you think he'll be okay? Okay, with waking up so we can take this legendary photo because it has to happen. You know." He said, yeah, wake him up. <laughs> I didn't know what was going to happen. You know, I thought I was going to get cursed out, you know. Uh, but I woke up, Danny Glover. I said, hey, Mr. Glover, we got to get a nap in. You know, I'm the younger you. I mean, I, 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 said, I said, we got to get a photo in. I'm the younger you. Uh-huh. Woke up. He looked tired of the picture because if anybody want to know why he looked that way in that <laughs> photo, he said, Razim Mitchell woke him up, okay? You know, so we took that photo and, you know, um, it was pretty cool when Danny Glover said my name. When Mr. Glover, excuse me, respects, said my name. He said, Keon. I said, oh, he said my name. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, that was pretty epic. You know, um, my most, um, probably my most memorable experience, you know, being on set with one of two. I was in a trailer. I'm um, getting my makeup and everything done. And, you know, Mr. Glover walked in, you know, got right to it, walked in. Everybody got quiet. I'm like, why am I getting quiet, man? You know, looking around. And then he, he come in, and I didn't even know, I didn't even see him because my eyes was closed. He says, oh, he looks down at me. It's just awkward silence. He says, oh, man. I thought that was Wesley Snipes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, you got jokes, you know? So we, so we was just, you know, roasting each other on set. It was, that was, that was like, for me, that was a very, very big experience for me because it's like, yeah, I don't. I, I didn't wake up the next day thinking the next day I was going to be talking trash with Mister Danny Glover, man. Like, like, come on, man. You know that's 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 it. <laughs> you know, and that changed my that just changed my heart. You know, that changed my heart. I had a, I just had a whole new. I was just high off life at that point. Uh huh. Well, another uh, my second experience was having a conversation with Mister Talbert on set. It started raining. You know, it's the part of the movie where I'm out there fixing the truck and everything and it started raining and we had to do some movie magic to make that work but I don't know how they did that 
shout out to the cast. I mean, shout out to the you know production crews, the camera people. Because that's nuts how they make that stuff work. But um, that's a whole other story. Um, we had we had this crazy, crazy conversation on set. It wasn't really a conversation; it was him talking to me. And that conversation, which I'm going to keep private, you know what I'm saying, was definitely the conversation. You know what I'm saying that definitely changed my perspective on how I'm approaching my career. Mm-hmm. Um, he's the reason why I started taking out the classes, working on my craft. You know, he has his great saying that says, you know, film makes you famous, TV makes you rich, theater makes you good. So, 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 so true. So true. And I'm learning and finding that out even through reading, even through reading the books I'm reading about acting. I'm reading this book by, um, I'm reading these books by uh, an author named, uh, his name is uh, Constantine um, Stanislavski, you know, um, and he teaches you uh, so many different things, you know, uh, but, he, but not to go there about it, but um, those are two experiences that really kind of hit me the most. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a moment, it was also another moment too in the uh, in the scene where we kind of, you know, we buy our, where we just purchased our house and I'm out there, I'm out there with the kids, the dogs and everything, find the house winds just blowing. And um, at that moment, when they were putting on makeup on my face, Greg, mm-hmm. I was just like looking around at all the people, like people don't understand what goes on behind that camera. Behind that camera is chaos. It's organized chaos behind that camera. <laughs> it's nuts. You know, but, you know, at that moment when I was standing there outside, and I watch these gorgeous kids come up, you know, my kids in the movie, you know, who grew up to be, you know, the older characters in the movie. Um, when David said action, and I looked around, I seen nobody around me but my, my fellow castmates, and everybody was just looking at us, and the cameras were going, and all this stuff was happening. As soon as he said action, I swear to God, time turned, time slowed down for like a minute. Like a minute went by, but it was really like, you know, a couple of seconds. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and at that time, I realized that, yo, I am scared. What am I going to do? I had that same feeling that I had when I auditioned for David mm-hmm. to get. So I had to kind of tap in because at that time I said, yo, my dream has just came true. I'm on set for a David Talbert production and I'm the younger Danny Glover. It's pretty epic. Um, So in my in my world, I don't know what that means to the industry but for me mm-hmm. yeah starting off it's like this is this is dream come I, true and then that's like action and it's like whoa i gotta produce now <laughs> yeah yeah that's yeah, yeah yeah that's what i'm thinking i'm like man i gotta i gotta do something i just can't stand here you know so i had to kind of tap in i keep falling back on god you know what i'm saying that's everyone that you should you know and i had to kind of tap into what i had to tap into to ultimately get the role i had to do what i had to do then you know what i'm saying same as I did in the past, you know, saying to continue my efforts down the path of where I wanted to go, which was to make this whole thing come true, you know, and at that moment, those moments right there, this were just phenomenal, you know, so the movie is the number, it's the, you know, Almost Christmas is the number one comedy in the movie, I mean, excuse me, Almost Christmas is the number one comedy in America right now, man, it's, it's at the top of the charts, you know, and I'm just very, very enthused to be a part of such an amazing cast with amazing directors, producers, so many amazing um, people with great energy. And I'm glad to be a part of that starting off because now I have an expectation. 
Amen. Amen, man. I'm, I'm glad to be in the Raptors clapping, man, for you and that, man. So, uh, before we transition to our, our, our last round, before the rapid fire round, I do want to ask one question because we talked about, we talked about a lot of your, uh, your, your breakthroughs as far as the commercials and then your first, uh, big screen moment and meeting these celebrities, these stars and whatnot. But what has been, is from the lens from your your acting career thus far, what has been the most challenging thing for you? For my acting career, as far as yeah, like as you as you've made this trans as you're making this transition into and because you're already an actor, but a transition into the craft. What has been the most challenging thing for you? It doesn't have to be like on set or whatnot. It could be like dealing with people or whatever. But what has been the most challenging thing for you personally um, throughout this process of Really, it, it, like this is this is this is this is this is achieving or pushing for your dream of being being a star in the, on the movie screen. Oh man, it's not just one; it's a few, maybe two. My biggest challenges have one been balancing my corporate life with my dream. I graduated with a computer science degree, as mentioned before. Uh, I had to come up with a plan. You know, you got to have a plan, people. You gotta have a plan. Plan may not make sense. Plans, <laughs> plans always change, but you gotta have something. You know, man. Um, I had a plan. My plan was to work. You know, corporate for five years to my to my so I can make my dream so I can make my dream come true. Essentially, giving me five years to work extremely hard to make what has happened within two years come true. So, my biggest challenge has been balancing corporate with my dream you know i got a job i work 100 percent remotely from home i never have to be in the office or, or anything like that so it's not as challenging as it once was when i was stuck in the office uh, however it's still challenging because i still i'm still binded by this this ideal need or this ideal this uh, not even desire this ideal um this ideal requirement that says that I need corporate America to survive mm-hmm. and pay my bills. Now that's true. <laughs> Cause you know, I, I ain't got no other side hustles. Well I do, but you know, I don't really have any other side hustles. You know what I'm saying? That that can pay my bills. You know what I'm saying? And support my mom and anybody else who I may support. Um, but you know, the reality of it, the fact is, you know what I'm saying, I have to do that until my dream comes to 100% to fruition. You know, um, so my biggest challenge, one, has been internal um, because, like I said, I'm a man of faith, I'm a man of, man of you know, man of God, man. You know, um, I haven't gotten this far without him, without listening to, without listening to his voice and everything. You know, but even then, I still have yet to take the 100% leap of a faith. Mm-hmm. Just yet to even make this whole thing come true, but look at look at what has happened in the last two years. They used to be a commercial. I love that commercial, man. Um, that alone is just a struggle because you know, for those that know me personally, I just really don't like answering questions. First, I don't like really being questioned. You know what I'm saying? That's just me. I just don't like answering a lot of questions. I don't like even I don't even like answering the people. You know what I'm saying? So. Mm-hmm. So, so corporate alone, oh my gosh, my corporate people out there, I don't see how you're doing it, but hey, kudos to you because I'm still there with you. You know, <laughs> you know, um, that's been a big, big challenge because it requires so much attention. You know, at the minimum, I have to work 40 hours a week, and at the minimum, I put 40 hours a week into my acting career because I treat it as I would treat corporate. 
you know, um, outside of that, you know, I'm working on a nonprofit. I'm working on, you know, a business plan for what I'm trying to make it. This is my 10 year plan, but a business plan. I got mentees. I got friends. I got people that I'm trying to inspire. I got followers and supporters. You know what I'm saying? Like, um, it's just so much that kind of happens, which ties into the next thing. You know what I'm saying? That really, um, that's really challenging, which is keeping up with all the people that support you, you know what I'm saying, and the people that you genuinely care about and your friends. I lost a lot of friends um, over the last, what, two years? Mm-hmm. You know, and it's not because we we fought or we, somebody owed me some money. You know what I'm saying? Or anything like that, or I owe somebody some money. <laughs> a lot of friends, you know, but it wasn't because of anything fiscal. It was because of the demand that my dream desires or needs everybody's not going to i'm telling this this is for everybody to please comprehend your dream isn't for everybody everybody cannot go with you but just because everybody can't go with you doesn't mean you have to make it to the top by yourself mm-hmm. you're gonna lose a lot of friends man when you chase your dream you're not gonna lose a lot of friends doing the same thing every single day but you will lose a lot of friends once your life starts to change. Once your life starts to change, your surroundings start to change, your peers have to change. And, you know, given the laws of nature, you know, people just fall off. You know what I'm saying? The people just naturally play. It is what it is, man. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to keep it G. I'm going to keep it hot because I will on my Snapchat, you know, um, if I don't do it here. But at the end of the day, man, you can't appease everybody. And at the end of the day, your dream is your dream. What's for you is for you. Mm. And, some, and sometimes you got to make sacrifices, including your friends or your peers or whoever might be that's causing conflict or that's conflicting. And I mean, it's causing conflicts within your life from you reaching the goals that you're trying to reach, man. Straight up. You, as you're trying to as you're trying to progress in life, it's not to say that other people are trying to progress with you. But at the same time, people expect, for example, your time to be their time, your money to be their money, your attention to be attention for them. When it went, well, you don't even have time for yourself. Mm. Like, you know, I can Hitting tell you something. Let me, let me give you a, let me give you my schedule, Greg. You know what I'm saying? Like I wake up every day well, on average, every day <laughs> at about five 30, go to the gym, come back home, a little shower, hit my corporate job because I'm obligated to, you know, I work about 10 hours a day. You know, my corporate side. So I don't so I don't really just get I don't give it the regular 40 hours a week. After that, I go back to the gym. After that, I spend the rest of my night until I crash, either reading, studying my craft, auditioning, traveling, <laughs> you know, making night trips to and from different locations for auditions the following day, trying to swindle out of the job just so I can actually do what is most important to me. Um Spending spending eight hours at my of my night working towards my craft, networking, building relationships, learning about people. Um, whatever time I have left, I use it to try to get some sleep, mm. or or reach out to those individuals I'm saying who have shot me text messages or who have called me that day or X Y and Z. But one thing I definitely learned, Greg, man, when you got friends, like Drake, Drake, Drake did numbers when he said no new friends. And the reason why I say that is because, you know, I'm, I'm up to meet new people that understand and get it. 
you know, but we got people that's been in your corner since you was in middle school, elementary school, high school, you know, and they see what you're trying to do. They understand what you're trying to do because, you know, they understand that, that, that you may not have every single open, open slot, mm-hmm. every slot of time that you have isn't allotted to accommodate them. Because they know that you either need some you time or they're not or they're not the only ones that, that you care or love. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That that need that time too. You know, like they understand that, they get that. They're your surroundings. They, you you've grown with these people for a very, very, very long time. So you don't have to explain yourself to them. You know what I'm saying? About your time where your time goes and your attention where your attention goes, et cetera. Like that's honest honestly, that's probably my that's my biggest challenge because I love and I care so hard, right? Mm-hmm. You know, um, it's almost to a point to where, you know, when you love and care so hard for people, you know what I'm saying? They take it and they soak it up and it becomes and your care and love becomes their requirement sometimes or it becomes their their thing where they feel like that you have to do that. You know, I'm 24 years old, man. And I have a lot to look forward to because I said so. <laughs> <laughs> because I said so. I like that. It is what it is. You know what I'm saying? Like, um, I have a lot to look for. I have a lot of plans. I have a lot of goals. I have a lot of things I want to achieve before I die. I have a lot of things I want my mother to see before, God forbid. Understand what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And in order for me to make that happen, I need my time. But everybody doesn't respect it or understand it. Everybody feels as if, you know what I'm saying? Everybody always wants their time in your life. And people always forget that at the same time. Yes, people like people. People love each other. And people do. People need each other. People do for each other. That's that absolutely okay. My biggest challenge, man, is just really trying to accommodate everybody. You know what I'm saying? Because I really want to so bad, but people have to understand where I'm at right now, what I'm trying to do, and where I'm trying to go, and the things I have planned outside of acting. Acting is my number one, but outside of acting, well, number one is we raising a family. You know what I'm saying? But and supporting a family, but essentially my number one, my number one is acting. You know what I'm saying? But outside of that, it's so many other things that I'm trying to achieve. You know, and I have no problem telling people what those things are. And it's crazy how people still just don't get it. If if you can't if you as a how I feel if you can't respect somebody else's time when they're trying to make something happen that you can't make happen for them. Ooh, say that again. Say that again, because I think that's deep. I think the last part is deep. That, yeah, we, yeah, we, yeah, when people get upset with you because you, you're, you're taking your time and give your time towards something, you know what I'm saying, that they cannot help you pursue mm-hmm. or help put you in a position to achieve, they get upset. That doesn't add up to me. <laughs> but, they, but you know, these people are the ones that say that, 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 they, that they got your back at all costs or they're your buddies. But get upset when you're trying to better yourself. And, that's, and at that time right there, that's when, you, that's when the separation process starts and you start leaving people behind you. Before we do our last round, I do want to ask two questions because I mean, um, and you can you can answer them if you want to answer or not. But um, I just I just I, I wanna I always do want to ask some kind of some real deal challenging questions. Um, and one one of my questions I had, what what because you said you talked earlier in the podcast about self esteem back in the day issues and whatnot, but then you had this premiere um, for you and had all these people come out drive for a long distance. And they pay good money to come see you. And of course, this is your first first role. So your role, it was, it was, it was, it was right when you come in. Um, you see yourself on the big screen, you had your montage, but it wasn't, it wasn't like a huge feature role. So what gave you the confidence to say, yo, yo, this is my first thing. I don't care how long my role is, 
I'm about to come. Y'all gonna have celebrate, and I'm I'm proud of where I came from. Because some people might have been like, "Yo, I mean, they would have been, uh, they wouldn't have had as much confidence or bravado inviting it." Because it's like, "Oh, well, I'm not the main character, so I ain't gonna show love." It is what it is. But you, but uh, I just loved your pizzazz, your energy about it, because like, yo, this is a it's a huge deal. Because I know, I mean, I know enough about the industry to know that this this doesn't come to everybody. But from from outsiders that don't know, they be like, "Oh man, what?" So what gave you that confidence to come out of your shell, like, yo? Bump it. We're going to do a big screen premiere. I don't care if I just said, hey, are we going to do it on, on on this level? Because most people wouldn't have that kind of confidence. My peers, my, my supporters, my peers, my family, my friends. Because I wasn't going to do a premiere. I wasn't going to do a debut right here in Charlotte. I mean, I, I felt as such my my 17-year-old self kicked in. Mm-hmm. I said, nah, man, don't celebrate yourself, Keon. You know, you didn't do a good job, Keon. You might even be in the movie. <laughs> but you probably got David probably cut you out. <laughs> you know, like, like don't do it, man. Like you suck. Like don't don't do it. Keon, you only in the first three, three, you know, three to five minutes. Don't do it. You know, it's not worth this capacity. But my peers made me do it. They made me do it. Man, you, that, know? you don't know how motivated. I I'm sorry to cut you off. You don't know how motivating it was to see, like, yo, like. The, the the first to see you finally celebrate yourself because we don't do enough, a good job in society as far as really truly celebrating ourselves not just putting a, a facebook status on there yeah I'm, I'm proud of myself but truly going all out to celebrate yourself but then to have 200 plus people be excited encouraged to come support you regardless if you wouldn't have even appear they were literally there to come support you and you having the bravado to make that thing and it's like yo in my head i'm like yo and me i'm like yo gee you got to take it to the next level, man, because I was just so inspired and encouraged by the whole thing. Like, I don't know if you know, but you probably changed a lot of lives that night to tell people like, yo, it's it's out here. Let's go get it. Just by that, that, that grand knack. And I was like, man, that's, that's some confidence right there. Because I said, um, I know I had to go through your head like, yo, should I really do this? Whatever. And then now it's like, I hope at the end of the night, when you went back, when you fell asleep, that you, you, you felt that you made a, a good decision by doing that. Yeah, I did. Um, yeah, that was uh, absurd. It was nuts. I wasn't expecting that demand because it became a thing where people were just going. Not that people were coming to support, yes, but essentially it became a demand. <laughs> you know, like, oh, we want tickets. You know what I'm saying? We told our black folk, don't be late, don't be black, and don't be late to get these tickets. You know what I'm saying? They did it anyway. You know what I'm saying? So that 200 could have easily became. 300 or 400 final person i talked to was uh, marcus nelson and you know troy hayden ricky cunningham shout out to elevate who actually uh, handled the logistics of the event um you know those are the final uh, they, they they threw they they pulled the final straw you know um and me deciding to go ahead and move forward in, in full force to make this whole thing something to this capacity you know, and then at that moment, you know, I had to kind of start to kind of take myself out the whole thing because um, any inspirational person or a person of success knows that their success is not just for them. Mm-hmm. You know, um, that premiere, it was for me, but I did it to that capacity for my supporters, you know, because I wanted to give them the chance to experience something that I had a chance to experience on October 26th at the, at the, at the Atlanta premiere with, you know, Gabrielle Tyrese. And that's my guy. 
we didn't talk about Tyrese, but I got to tell you about that story. But, um, you know, but um, we had a I wanted to bring a red carpet to them. You know, the red carpet to me exemplifies importance, prestige, significance, VIPs, you know, relevance, elegance, all of that. Um, I wanted to make sure that we at least that we that I brought the red carpet to my supporters because my supporters are my VIPs, my important important people of, of my life, my inspiration, my motivation, my gasoline to my Nissan Ultima. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? To keep that thing going of a nine eighty five to one from Atlanta to get these auditions rolling. You know, um you know, um my supporters are just that. So I, I mean, we knew that the we knew that you know people would like the red carpet, the lights, the excitement, the fact, you know, let alone being there to support me on my big screen, me on the big screen from um, from my first A-list movie, you know, and it was it was my it was it was my supporters, it was people that really thought that this was something that could really be that big. Now, don't get me wrong, I had a couple of people say, "No, nah, I don't think you should do it, man." You know what I'm saying, but you get a leading role. In my mind, I'm thinking like, "No, this is my leading role." <laughs> oh, that's that, that's like, ah, man, that's huge right there. That mentality, because a lot of people, that's why they're not taking things to the next level, because they're waiting for those lead opportunities. They're waiting for these big opportunities. No, the small opportunities are the big opportunities, because those were created. Like, it don't come out of nowhere. You treat every single thing like the biggest opportunity in the world. You get to that big role. But if you like, man, nah, this is this is little me. I'm going to wait. Then like nah man like that's that's crazy I'm I'm glad you said it that's huge you know, right there you know it's funny man like because people <sighs> affirmation is the word of the day mm-hmm. affirmation is the word of this conversation it's the it's the word of this podcast for the day what do we in today's society man we live in 2016 now about to be 2017 in today's society man we live in a world of affirmation social media and. It's not necessarily a trick question, but something I just want you to think about, you know, what do we deem as significant or important in our lives? How do we judge if something is very significant or important in our lives nowadays? It's rhetorical, it's rhetorical but I got the answer. In my opinion, mm-hmm. it's other people's opinion about what you, about, I mean, about what you got going on. Mm, that's going to hurt. That hurt me a little bit. Ooh. <laughs> If something is if something is very important to you, you'll need affirmation from any damn body to execute something in your life. But if I were to go on and talk to my 17 year old self and say that, Ken, you know what I'm saying? You know, if I was 17, you know what I'm saying? I was saying, Ken, you know what I'm saying? I don't think you should do this because everybody else don't think it's important. So you shouldn't think it's important. And I wouldn't have done this. I wouldn't have done this debut. I would have told my boys, no, we ain't doing it. <laughs> Sorry, elevate. We ain't doing it. Sorry, fellas. Sorry, I just had to be mad at me. <laughs> we ain't doing it. <laughs> I'm not doing it. Okay, I can do it. I won't be there. <laughs> mm-hmm. so, um, you know. Uh, but today, you know, our affirmation is conf- our affirmation is obviously confirmation from other people. You know what I'm saying? But also affirmation deems our happiness or deems what we deem as successful for ourselves, man. Mm-hmm. That's 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 the new trend. That's the new trending. That's the new trending. Um, trending, training behavior. And that's, 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 that can lead you down a bad path. And a lot of people aren't doing, it's a lot of people out here doing a lot of phenomenal things, but they ask the wrong people for affirmation. 
They ask the wrong questions. They seek affirmation from the devil. They seek affirmation from people and their so-called friends don't even like them. And they seek affirmation even, man, it's crazy because a lot of people even seek, uh, a lot of people even seek affirmation if their relationship is solid via Instagram. Mm. And this is another kind of a deep one too, but I, I just, because I always try to think things from my perspective. We think alike of certain things. But how was it seeing another young actor to have like a a, a meaty role and and but it was at any time do you think in the back here like yo I could do the same thing or I could, I would have added this to the role I would have did this a little little bit differently I didn't stir up no pot or nothing like that but oh, yeah. I mean oh. I know you because I, I mean I'm always thinking in my head if I hear anybody speak or give a speech especially if they're not like a top dog I'm like yo I would have hit it this way I would have did this I'm I'm in my head right when they talk and I'm like yo I would have I would have through this story whatever and I know it's like you see you see I don't know the uh, the other young actor's name and he did a he did a phenomenal job shout out to him but i know in the back here like i got my role but i know when i get my next shot we 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 and it was it's like a friendly competition so in your head when you see another young actor doing this thing like what what, what process is in your head all the time i see it all the time man you know it's my craft and so when i look at tv i watch movies and t- i watch tv shows movies i watch everything differently now mm-hmm. um I can name a couple of cats, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Michael B. Like, I'm not even an actor, and I'm like, yo, Michael B. Where you want to go act? I'm like, bro, I can do the same thing. I'm not calling no names. I can call that because I ain't acting. If I met Michael B., I'm like, what's up, man? Like, that's, that's like, you know, he's honestly one of the younger cats. You know I'm saying? I definitely look up to as a younger, as a young actor who's definitely still growing, and I'm sure he has goals in mind for himself, too. That's definitely one cat that's just like, yo, he's definitely grown, you know? Mm-hmm. He's, he's been doing this since he was a kid, you yeah, know. Yeah, bro, I didn't realize that because I, I was naive at first. I was, I was in my head. I was like, oh, then I was like, hold up, he been in the game for a minute. Yeah, man, I looked at the wire. I said, wait a minute, <laughs> that's the same guy. <laughs> wait a minute, you know, what I'm saying? <laughs> you know, he's done the man much more, much, much, much power to that guy. I definitely can't. Wait. I was definitely can't wait to meet that guy one day. Yeah, he's definitely a major inspiration to me, uh, Michael B. Um, but yeah, there are other actors, you know what I'm saying, out there, you know what I'm saying, that I definitely look at like, you know, I could I could I would have done this differently, I would have definitely done that differently. Or you could have done that better, you know what I'm saying, or or worse. You <laughs> 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 did too much with that one, you know. But at the end of the day, you know what I'm saying, it's not necessarily even a matter of who could have done what better. Everybody has their own gift and everybody has their own everybody has what they bring to the table. Mm-hmm. Like you can't I can't imagine, you know, Denzel Washington saying to, you know, Robert De Niro. I mean, shit, hell yeah, Robert De Niro saying, hey, I would I would have done that differently. They're two different breeds. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? I can't imagine, you know, Al Pacino, you know, looking at um, you know, Leonardo DiCaprio say, I would have done that differently. You know what I'm saying? They're two different breeds, you know what I'm saying? But they all are great. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Yeah. So I can always I can always just as well say that, hey, you know, I would have done something differently, but essentially that wasn't my role. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that yeah. was for me. You know what I'm saying? That wasn't something that was meant for me because it was meant for me. I would have had it and I would have been able to do something differently. But my different, what I would have done differently would have been suitable to make whatever he did suitable for the movie, which made the movie great. Yep. Amen. Amen. That's a phenomenal, phenomenal answer. So but uh, as we as we transition to the last, last round. Um, so when it's all said and done, what do you envision your lasting legacy to be? I, I want to be a deep question. I had a transition, but I mean, I, just, I always, I always ask my guests, like, what at the core, at the end of it all, like, if you had to, to dream it up, what would it be? I want to be the individual that people literally watch, start and finish, man. Um, finish in a very, very big way. 
Um, I want my legacy to be the individual. We we know, man. Listen, man. Like we, Keon was Keon had no problem, you know, being public with his his dream. His dream is private. You know, I got a lot of a lot of aspects are a part of my dream yeah, that the world doesn't know, <laughs> you know, but know about because it's it's my dream. You know, but I want my legacy to be that, i.e., celebrity that people can touch. And that people can feel and people can, you know, feel for, understand um, that people can um, empathize for, sympathize for that people can ultimately relate to. A lot of us, we can't, we can't, a lot of us can't relate to these celebrities, man. You know, or at least we already, we think we can't, you know, um, at the end of the day, you know, the world, the world is the world. You know, it's you know celebrities because they come out here by themselves. It can be dangerous for them. You know, just, you know people hound them. People it gets gets nuts. I mean, this but you got to protect yourself. You know, you know. But I will always, and this is my promise. You know, to everybody. You know that I will never change my ways. Never change my personality. This is this is me. You know, you know. Um, I want to be that. I want to be that tangible source of inspiration to people because we live in a messed up world right now and a lot of people need a lot of inspiration to do what they a lot of people just need inspiration man a lot of people need god you know but <laughs> you know, but we live in a pretty pretty messed up world right now g and i want to be that simple i want to be that tangible source of inspiration who inspires me the most on this planet right now was two people denzel washington and tyrese mm-hmm Denzel Washington, Tyrese Gibson are my two cats. Regardless of reputations, regardless of rumors, regardless of he says, he says, those are my two idols. I don't care what your reasons are. My reasons are my reasons as to why these two individuals are so inspirational in my life. But they aren't tangible. Well, Tyrese became tangible because I shook his hand. We had a nice little conversation, mm-hmm. you know. Now, and I definitely cried after I talked to the dude. You know, I don't mind telling the world that, you know, that was definitely a dream come true. All in one. Um, you know, but uh, they're not necessarily the most tangible people. I can't get to Nizzo Washington right now. He's my biggest inspiration. I don't even know. My legacy, I want to be is, you no, know, I want the world to know me. I want people to know who I am. I want people to know why I'm here. Because at this point, Greg, I'm no longer acting because it's just a passion, or I'm not. I'm no longer acting because, you know, um, it's it's a dream. It's not about me anymore at this point. Because there's too many people, you know what I'm saying, that has pinged me, even on my my work laptop or, you know, Facebook, Instagram, social, or any kind of social media. It's primarily Snapchat. No, all of it, man. You know, it's just, you know, so many people that has hit me with their testimonies, their stories and their life and things that they've been through. And now all I could do is just provide my words of encouragement of things that I've been through to kind of show them how I kind of made it out of it. To help inspire them to get to the next to the next thing. It's always about growing through it, Greg. And I want my legacy to be the person who not only inspires people, but to see what people go through and help them grow through it, man. Amen. 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 So um, as as customary, 
The last round is the culture change round, which is a rapid fire round. So I ask five rapid fire questions. You give me five rapid fire answers, and then we uh we ended up. All right, you ready? I'm ready. All right. What's the best piece of advice that you've ever received? Do what you want to do. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> what? Seriously, it's serious. Like do what you want to do. But go ahead. <laughs> when is one of your personal habits that you can attribute to your success thus far? Directly, indirectly listening. Mm, dig deeper a little bit. A little bit. You say what? Like, like explain that a little bit. Um, I listen very direct. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a very adequate listener. So when people don't think I'm listening to them, I'm listening to them. Um, the good, the bad, the ugly, the sad, the the, the anger. I, I listen to every. If somebody's talking to me, or if I'm somewhere in a room, I'm listening to every single thing that everybody says. Now I'm not nosy. You know what I'm saying? But I just it's just it's just habitual. Because a lot of things that I learned, nobody has told me directly. <laughs> I heard it, I overheard it indirectly. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, um, also indirectly listening per se, it's just more, it's just literally just that directly, indirectly listening. It's kind of overhearing things. You're listening, but it's kind of like you're not really listening. But then, you know, three days later, you, you, you think of something in your head. You wonder what, it, what that idea came from or what that thought process came from. You don't remember until like another week later that, oh, I overheard that at the, at the airport. You know, with these two, this Caucasian couple talking about investments or something like that. Like, you, you know, whatever. You know, yeah. not to stereotype anybody or whatever. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, White um, people talk about investments and black people, we just talk about uh, uh, all this other. I got you. I got you. I'm playing. I'm playing. I mean, no, that's not what I'm saying. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> talk about investments. <laughs> you said that. I didn't say, you said that. I didn't say that. You, know what I'm you said that. But, um, but um, yeah, so... um. That's a habit. I, I listen. I listen to everything. I listen to anybody. I listen to. The, I listen to the homeless man asking for change and still give him bread. I, I listen to the richest man. I listen to the richest man on the planet. I listen to any and everybody. You know what I'm saying? Nobody on this planet is not worth. Is nobody on this planet is not worth not being heard. Amen. 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 And uh, what is your favorite book and why? Who? I got a lot of those now. My favorite book right now. Is an actor prepares by Constantine Stanislavski. <laughs> um, you already explained why, but an actor prepares, and I make sure audience that I put that in the show notes for any of our aspiring actors. Um, and I think you touched on this already, but what inspires you the most and keeps you motivated? What inspires me the most and keeps me motivated? Because I know there got to be certain times. Everybody has times where it's like, man, honestly, I'm not. Today and today, like what keeps you when when you when 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 you hit when you uh, when that that alarm comes on or when you had an audition or when something comes up and you like man today is not the day. What in your mind triggers you to be like oh today got to be today? A, a better life. Your vision is your vision is important. Your vision can break or break you. You know uh, if you don't have the heart to go and chase your vision, it's gonna break you. You know what I'm saying if you have the vision to go if you have the if you have the heart to go and chase it, it will make you. Um, I have a dream. I mean, every every now and then, I have this same reoccurring dream of this lifestyle that I'm living in. It's not necessarily consumed with money, but it's consumed around an idea of better. And the ultimate thing I'm saying that pushes me the most is the fact that I want, I want like a, I want a life. You know what I'm saying with a gorgeous wife, man. You know, about three kids. I don't have to be rich. I don't have to be wealthy. I wonder I could be well off. I could be okay. You know, but I really want that. And I ultimately want people to to be okay with who they are. I want to be that figure of inspiration because it's not only am I telling people, you know what I'm saying? Like, you know, hey, 
I don't I don't just tell people, yo, you got to go do this. I, I don't I don't just speak verbal inspiration. You know, people can keep my inspiration at this point has been tangible. Great. We had 200 plus people come to a premiere. You know what I'm saying mm-hmm. Charlotte. You know what I'm saying so at this point, it's it's tangible at this point. And, it's, and now that I see what I see on Saturday, I have even bigger goals to make sure that happens again on a much larger scale. Man, you know, the president of the United States. What is the first thing you would do? Well, the president of the United States. What's the first thing I would do? Oh man, I know that always is. A, it's a change of pace. Like, that's my curveball. If I was the president, if I was Trump, what would I do? <sighs> not build a bridge, not mess. <laughs> and I not build a wall. You know what I'm saying? But um, if I was the president of the United States, man, um, honestly, man, like I, I, I got this weak spot for homeless people. Mm-hmm. You know, um, what people did not do. For the uh, for the debut, was bringing their donation to the urban ministry. You know, like they should have brought Greg. You hey, know, man, I made thirty five. Man, I should have put ten percent towards that, bro. No, man. Like, nah. You had thirty five. You had a can to feed to you to you know to feed somebody's baby. You know what I'm saying so. <laughs> no, but really though, man, I had a I got this weak spot for um the homeless man. I'm always trying to find different ways to give back. It may not necessarily be the first thing I think about when I wake up in the morning, but when I definitely see it, I get weak. Um, but if I was the president of the United States, man, the first thing I would do is just tackle it. It's just do it the best I can to tackle this homeless, um, this 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 poverty that we have going on out here, man, because it blows. It sucks, man, because I know for a fact, man, if I didn't have people looking out for me growing up, man, who knows what the hell I'd be doing? Mm-hmm. No, honestly, man, and it's important. You know, and it's messed up because our kids, though, our kids, our, our man, it's, these kids out here don't even understand the, the significance of giving back. You know, these kids out here just taking, these kids out here losing. You know, and, and, and all they're doing is following an example. And, who, and what's the example? These adults who's out here losing too. Mm, so, to get us out of here, to get us out of here, this is the most pivotal question. And we entered this, that's the end of the culture change round. But I ask all my guests, because I call myself the culture change agent, a question about the culture. And, um, and if you could change one thing about society, most specifically, our African American culture. Uh, what would it be, and why? Mm, so much. I would change. Change how we treat each other. Excuse me. As African American culture, we treat each other like trash. Um. You know, we have this whole thing, you know, with the whole you know, white versus black thing. But honestly, man, I never really experienced anything crazy from white people, man, personally. Um, I, I just don't. I have a positive attitude. I keep I keep a positive attitude on me. Um, But when I walk these streets and I meet a new, I mean, I said I meet, you know, black folk or whatever. It's always it's, it's not friendly. Like we're not we're not a family. Like we once used to be. I'm 24 years old, so I can't speak like I'm back in the 60s or the 70s. I can't. But I was nurtured growing up by a village, and I don't really see too many villages nowadays. Like we, it's like it's almost as if we hate each other, bro. You know, it's like we hate each other. Females hate females hate themselves. Mm. You know. Dudes and brothers hate each other, you know what I'm saying? Dudes out here getting emasculated, emasculating each other, you know what I'm saying? Like, you know, we don't love, we don't even love ourselves, man. We don't even love who we are. 
you know, and it's only getting worse. And my thing is, man, I got, I'm sorry, I got to tell the story, bro. You know, when I went back to when I went back to um, to Atlanta, Georgia, and I, I gave a, a motivational speech to a middle school. I'm not gonna say the name of the school, man, but it, it hurt my soul. How these kids are, you know, in their mindset, man. How much hatred they have. How much, how much, how, how lonely they are. How they feel like nobody has their back. Nobody cares about them, man. These people, their parents don't even care about them. There's so many stories that I've heard. Little girls, you know, on the third floor of the school, you know what I'm saying, in middle school, you know what I'm saying, getting trained on by like, you know, eight, eight cats in eighth grade, like, and loving it, you know what I'm saying? Like, and nobody's there except for the teachers who the kids don't give two care, two, two Fs about. Mm-hmm. Nobody's there to defend them or help them or teach them how to not be. Understand what I'm saying? Because their big sister or their mom or their grandma is actually stripping or trying to do what they got to do. You know what I'm saying for the come up, you know. And then we just—it's like we just hate ourselves. We hate it. We hate each other. You know what I'm saying? But we're so quick to come together when one person outside of our family as a race gets shot. But what are we doing as a culture to better ourselves so that way we can prevent ourselves from getting shot? You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, like, I mean, I just, I just, I don't know, man. Like, I just feel like, you know, even walking around certain cities, man, like the love, man, the love ain't there. You know, if you're not a part of my set, I ain't trying to be with you. But my like, dude, we both, we both in the same, like, we just can't agree, man. Like, it's raised differently in two different locations, man. Like, if I could really change that, probably can't. Honestly, at this point, I feel like it's just embedded in our DNA. You know what I'm saying? To just hate everything and hate each other and show each other no kind of respect. You know, and the ones that do try to reach out and show respect, they're the ones that's dying. They're the ones that's dying. They're the ones that are losing. Those are the ones that get swept under the rug. It's almost, as if, it's almost as if this is what we want for each other. You know, and we do all this preaching. We come together when it's time. We always come together when somebody gets shot, but then that togetherness dies, man. When it went, um, when the individual got shot in Charlotte, we had our protest and everything going on in Charlotte. We, uh, me and my boys, you know, meet George Archer, uh, George um, Archibong, and you know, uh, a few other individuals, you know, Brent, you know, um, we all kind of have lead a protest, a peaceful protest, you know, and everything. But even at the protest, man. Like the protest that what the what not ours but the the combination of multiple protests kind of centered around Marshall Park and even out there at Marshall Park we got whole live cameras out there for the news and we got big giant dudes acting ignorant that's our culture you know what I'm saying they can't even respect each other in front of cameras because everybody got something to say to act or appear to be hard or like the guys everybody always gonna have something to say. But the fact that we don't have any kind of unity amongst each other as a culture, man, that's scary. Because my thing is, at the end of the day, when I step outside of my apartment on South in South Charlotte, I can't account. I can't account. I can't count anybody. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's not even my own people. You know what I'm saying? To make sure that I'm okay, because I'm probably gonna get robbed if I leave my car open. You know what I'm saying by somebody, you know what I'm saying that's it by somebody, you know what I'm saying that's mm-hmm. that looks like me, you know, and that's the that's just the that's just the world we live in now, man. So it's like you always gotta watch your six and be on your ones and cues. I mean, excuse me, on your p's and cues because you just don't know anymore, and you gotta be that selfish person. You gotta be that person that just makes sure you watch your own, you know. And that's and, it, and quite frankly, even though I'm saying that, essentially, that's how every other 
person that looks like me feels, but a little more aggressive, <laughs> if you know what I mean. Yeah, man, that's that's unfortunate. That's real, man. You you hit on some real points, dog. And I, as I mentioned during this podcast, I see it all the time in the in the school systems now with these, these students that come in and it's like, yo, we, we all these black teachers and you can't respect us, and we are trying to give you knowledge and whatnot. So who who are you respecting? And it's 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 very 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 disheartening what I see in certain schools and certain settings and certain environments. From um, but at the end of the day though, um, that's what we do. That's why we do what we do. We try to set an example because then we can talk about it at every podcast. We can do all this stuff, but for us being um, auditioning for these roles, being the examples, always um, putting out positive energy into the world, uh, we can affect in what we can. And who we can, and hopefully that we can just continue one by one, one by one, and grabbing as much people you are, and um, coming together, man. So, um, without without further ado, man, I definitely want to say um, thank you so 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 much for coming on the podcast, man, putting your soul on the line, sharing things, and just being as honest and vibrant um, per usual as I know you, but really just dropping bombs today, man. No problem, man. Anytime, bro. Already and then um before you go, um where can people find you at online on social media and all these platforms? If anybody wants to find me, you can just you know hit up um you know off, you know Facebook simply as Keon Rosine Mitchell or you can find me on Instagram. My Snapchat is um at Epic Key E P I C K E and um all the other social medias is either just Keon Rosine Mitchell or at Keon R Mitchell. Or you can just simply find me with a hashtag K on Keon or Mitchell on Instagram. Um and it'll pop right up for you. You know, so And I'll have all that in the information in the show notes and on the website, man. So that's a wrap. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of the Minority Trailblazer Podcast. And if you listen this far, please do me a favor. Leave a review on iTunes. We've been stuck at like 124 for far too long, so please leave a review via iTunes. Oh, you can also check out my book, greggyhill.com backslash book. And make sure you do one thing, one thing only, Minority Trailblazer Nation. It ain't changed a bit. Remember to change the freaking culture. Good night.